Well, if you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about love today. Um, so if you have your Bibles, if you want to open them to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, uh, we're going to be there this morning. So if you have your copies of the Scripture, you can do that. If you have your phone or tablet, uh, you can swipe there or tap there. And if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there should be one underneath the chair racks of the chairs in front of you. Uh, so grab that. And on that, in that Bible, it's page 800. 800. So we're going to be talking about love this morning. Um, when uh, Glenn was kind of divvying up this passage, I don't know um, what drew him to have me speak on it. Um, I definitely am not a perf. I'm definitely not the oldest one, so I don't have that much experience. I don't have that much marital experience. I've almost been married two years. Um, so I don't know if they drew straws or I got the shortest one or my wife slipped them a $100 bill. Um, but here we are, and we're talking about love uh, this morning. Um, but if we think about the aspect of love, uh, there's a lot uh, of talk about what love is, and it's all around in, in our world. It's uh, being loved and, and showing love is what makes us human. Um, it's what, who we are. It's how God made us. And so uh, there's like over a hundred million songs about love. Um, there's probably countless books and illustrations and, and movies uh, on the subject matter of love. And so love, this idea and concept is all over in our world because it's part of being human. Um, we have the desire to be love and we want to show love. Um, and that's the deep desire. And if you think about yourself, um, you probably have that desire to be loved. Um, you probably have that desire for someone to, to love you, uh, to be patient with you, to be kind with you, to be gentle with you. Um, it's really what drives kind of who we are as human beings. It kind of defines who we are and we work to get it. Some of us think that we need to have a lot of money for people to love us or we need to have a lot of uh, good things or we need to have a big house or a successful job uh, because if, if we have that and then that equals love, then we will be lovable, lovable in some way. Um, and then we look at ourselves, we not just only want someone to love us, uh, we, want, we want someone to love us unconditionally, without conditions, because we make mistakes and we're um, terrible human beings at some times. And so we want to be known, we want to be accepted uh, by who we are, um, and we also want to be loved. And we wrestle with this, okay, if someone were really to know who I was or, you know, what I really am on, deep down on the inside, uh, they probably wouldn't deem me as lovable, and therefore they probably wouldn't love me. And so we kind of hide that, we kind of put up a, a perception, or we um, try to find that in other things. Uh, but we have this desire to be loved, and for those of us who are loved, um, for those of us who are loved by Christ specifically, um, we still fall short on how we ought to love, right? Um, you, you see 1 Corinthians on, on the written form there, or we look at it in our, in our Bible, and we, we fall short. We don't love like we always should. That's why there's the beauty of forgiveness, right? Uh, so you can live with an idiot husband like my wife and still somehow manage to love him. And so there's this connection, there's this desire that we have to be loved, and then there's this ongoing struggle for us to continue to love in the way that God tells us to love, and as Scripture kind of paints this picture, and so we're going to be talking about it today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we're in this series um, on specifically on spiritual gifts. Um, one, many gifts, uh, one spirit, and so tucked in the middle of this section is this magnificent poem, hymn, description, portrait of love. It's like 
it's like a diamond in this, you know, encapsulated uh, in this uh, section, in this, in this frame. And um, most of the time we've heard this maybe at a Christian wedding, maybe at, even at a secular wedding, uh, or maybe we've seen it at Hobby Lobby uh, in a home decor, or maybe it's on a wall in, in your own house. And so we're pretty familiar um, with this passage, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and you'll see that. But to look at it in the context of spiritual gifts and how the church relates to one another and how we use those gifts is just even more magnificent. Um, and so that's going to be an amazing thing as we discuss, we discuss this this morning. But before we do that, I want to give you two passages of Scripture. One is found in Hebrews, um, and the other is found um, in Tit- Timothy, I think, I think. But I want us to read this, and then I want us really to, to kind of pray this. Let this be our prayer here this morning as we dive into the subject of love. Because um, from my study, I, my time that I've done this, um, it's like a wrecking ball. And it just rocked me. And so I think we need the Spirit's help for this. So for the Word of God is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That is the Word of God. And then the next passage here. All Scripture is God-breathed, God's words. So therefore, it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so I'm going to pray this and join with me as we we pray this this morning. Father, thank you that your word is alive and it is active. And Lord, we sit here and we hear it. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would make make it alive, make us be able to see that. Lord, it it cuts and it penetrates the deepest level of our heart and our soul. Lord, speak to us on that level. Lord, you desire for us to be thoroughly equipped, and and this is your words, your words to us to help us do that. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for rebuking. It's profitable for correcting where we kind of go astray in our thinking, and it helps us become more like Jesus so that we will be thoroughly equipped for all the good works that you've called us to. So Lord, our prayer today is that you would use your word and use your spirit uh, to help us see the truth uh, of your words to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're in this context of spiritual gifts, right? Um, we're seeking, Paul is just, we've got finished talking about the, the spiritual gifts and how the Corinthian church were, was kind of uh, elevating and they, they were very gifted apparently. And so um, they were wrestling with, okay, I want this type of gift and no, I want that one. And so there's a lot of gifts and there's a lot of confusion. And Paul's like, hey, you're, you're desiring those gifts. Um, that's not quite good. Um, there's all different gifts. We're all one people, and you can see that uh, if you go in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working, but the same Spirit of God works in all of them. And you can see in verse 7, to each of them is the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he tells it that the gifts are there for the common good, and he, he outlines that. And so he says what the gifts are in and in chapter 14, we're going to talk about how kind of that works. But in chapter 13, we have this, I want to call it this, the fuel of our spiritual gifts. The fuel of our spiritual gifts. And Paul tells him, and it's actually the end of chapter 12. It might be right above chapter 13 in your Bibles. And, and he's doing this and they're desiring it. And I can just picture Paul saying, hey, let me show you a more excellent way. Let me show you the most excellent way. 
And that's when we get into our chapter this morning. So let me read it and we'll uh, try to dig out these truths. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And so you can see how there's this great de de depiction of love, and it's the kind of the the flagship for, you know, weddings, and, and it's this idealistic of love, and so for some of us, we're, we're still searching for that love, and like the common song goes, we're searching for love in all the wrong places, right? Looking for love, what I'm dreaming of, and for those of us who have that love, we, we wrestle with, okay, yeah, ugh. you know, if you substitute your name in there, you know, S Scott is patient, Scott is kind. Scott does not envy. Scott does not boast. Scott is not proud. Scott is not rude. Scott is not self-seeking. Scott is not easily angered. Scott keeps no records of wrong. Scott does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Scott always protects. Scott always trusts. Scott always hopes. Scott always perseveres. Scott never fails. Youch. And if you're my wife, you know that better than anyone or my family. And so we have this magnificent picture of love and the truth of God's word, and, and we let it sit on us. We let it crush us under its magnificent weight, and we realize that there is a gap. There is a huge, huge gap. But as we study this, We'll, we'll be encouraged. And for those of you who are searching for love, the scriptures will tell you where it is found. And then for those of us who wrestle with that, we will have a better understanding of how we can love like this. But Paul, what he does is he talks about without love, anything and everything we do is useless. The first three verses here. And he gives uh, kind of this uh, exaggeration and kind of just tells the extreme to, to make his point, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And then if I give everything I have to the poor and even surrender my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Without love, anything and everything we do is useless. We may be able to speak eloquently. We may be able to even speak multiple languages. We may be able to speak in tongues, talking to the Corinthian church. We may be able to even speak angelic speak. We may be even to talk angels and speak angelic. But if we have not love, this is what we sound like.
to be true, right? If we speak to someone or if we, we say things and we don't say it in love, that's what we sound like. We've been on the receiving end of the gong or the cymbal. Probably many of us, too, too, too much. And so Paul says, no matter how you speak, no matter how eloquently or how tactful or how wild and crazy, if you don't love, that's what you sound like. You are nothing. And then he goes from what we say or how we say it to, to what we know or how we think. If I have the gift of prophecy, now, the prophecy here is I have the uh, gift to speak God's truth. I'm not getting new truth. I'm speaking God's revealed truth. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries of the scripture, that word there is the New Testament um, uh, that was revealed in the New Testament, the Old Testament they were looking for, and we found it in the New Testament. So the New Testament uh, mysteries that revealed Christ in us is one, marriage is another. If we know all of that and we have all knowledge, we, we study, we are a walking encyclopedia, if we know everything about everything, and even, even if we have a faith, not like a saving faith, but a, a determined faith, that God will never fail, or that I'm going to keep going, I'm going to be persistent knowing that God is going to deliver, but we have not love, we're nothing. And then he goes from not what we, we say or how we say it, or not what we know or how much we understand, but the level of faith that we have, but he says if what we do, if we give all that we possess to the poor, if we give everything, sold our house, sold our car, gave everything and used all that money to the poor, and we didn't have love, we gain nothing. And then he goes in to say, we can even give up our bodies. We can be a martyr. We can burn at the stake, and if we're not doing it in love, we gain nothing. And so you're reading this, you're like, okay, I better make sure I do things in love, right? If, if this can happen, if we can do this, if we can use our spiritual gifts to serve one another and we don't do it in love, if it's not fueled by love, they're useless. So love is so important. It's the fuel. And the, the question we, we must ask then is, okay, I need to do it with love. So what is love? What is love? What is this love? Do I have the, the right love? And so we're in a culture right now where um, we want to, the culture wants to change the meaning of things to make it less, um, less intrusive, to less, um, you know, um, ex to exploit less things, to, to make ourselves feel good about this. And so uh, we redefine things in our own terms so that we can embrace our inadequacy of it. We see this in, in case in point with, with abortion. We want to redefine abortion as uh, re reproductive health so that we don't have to come face to face with what it really is. And so we have to, with everything that we do, we have to let Scripture define and determine what things are. Determine our priorities, determine our worldview, determine our actions, and most importantly, determine what love is. Which is why Paul pens this and why God gives us this glorious account of, of love. It's literally, if you were to ask God, what is love? This is what he says. And, he, and Paul gives 16 descriptions. So I've got 16 more points as we go down here. And we're going to try to go through them in a, in a, a, a regular way. But love is, here is not defined. You can't define love. You describe it. 
All of these words are actions. So it's like as Paul is, is writing this, he's, he's seeing it in his mind. They're, they're actions that describe it to us. Love isn't a feeling or emotion, which is very common in our culture. It's a, it's a fleeting feeling or it's, it's round up in our emotions. That's not what love is. Love is a choice. Love is an action. And it's love that always is focused on other people. If, if I say I love myself, I'm just really saying I'm selfish and I, I don't really love. So it's always defined as others, and we'll see this. And the other thing is, is I can say that I love my wife, and I can say that I love ice cream. Same word, different meanings, right? And so uh, the Greek and how Paul was writing, the Greeks actually have seven words for love. Seven, and we kind of have just this one love, and so we, we need to understand that. And the, the love that Paul uses here and that we'll see is, is agape love. Agape. And it's empathetic, universal love. All right? So then we're going to go in here. We're going to do these descriptions of love. And I'm going to try to give you some illustrations as we go through. So the first one, love is patient. Patient, or your Bible may say long-suffering. This is to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. So if it's dealing with how to, to treat sinful people. How does love treat sinful people? It chooses to be patient, to act patiently towards them, to suffer long, literally to suffer, endure for a long time. It's a, the long fuse that keeps going and going and going and never blows up. And this is countercultural, right? Because culture teaches us, hey, I don't get mad, I get even, Right? They wronged me, so I'm going to wrong them back, and I'm going to kind of amp it up a bit. Culture teaches. Culture heralds, actually, you kind of share stories. Like, I remember in the dorm, it's like, yeah, somebody did this, and uh, you don't, I'll tell you what I did to get him back, and you kind of share this. And like, yeah, I'm macho, I'm macho. This is what we do. But love is not that way. It's countercultural. Love is long-fused. It never blows up. It saves it for God. So just imagine in our church, right, the context of spiritual gifts, we, we do life with people. People are going to sin against us. They're going to offend us. They're going to do something wrong. Love says, I'm not going to retaliate, even though I can. Love says, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to suffer long. I'm going to endure that. Think about it in a relationship, right? People irritate you. People do wrong against you. It's, it's who we are, and love doesn't retaliate. You know, because then you get, okay, someone acts this way and then you retaliate and then they amp it up and then you, you see their sin and, and raise them 20, right? And so you go and it starts this cycle and this cycle and this cycle and you get this vicious, unloving cycle. But patience, patience breaks that. It doesn't retaliate. So what would our church look like if we loved this way? What would our homes look like? What would our relationships with our spouses and our kids and those extended family members that you know. Love is not also patient, but it's also kind. And this again, these two terms, these two words are using with someone who, who offends us or sins against us. This is to show oneself mild, to be kind, to use kindness. This is when someone wrongs us, instead of retaliating, it ends the cycle and says, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not going to treat you that way. I'm actually going to go above and beyond, and I'm going to treat you kindness, even not how you deserve to be treated. 
I'm going to be kind to you. So in our church, when someone offends us and we don't say, oh, I'm going to return that with, you know, I'm going to remove against them or I'm going to sit over there in the corner because they sit over there. I'm not going to do all of that. I'm going to show them kindness. I'm going to do something loving for them. In a relationship, right? It's when someone sins against you or frustrates you. You know, they get into an argument or they blow up and they go into the other room. Kindness doesn't remove yourself. Kindness goes and seeks after and goes in and comforts and shows that kindness. I struggle with that one. I like to um, stay in the kitchen if something happens and not engage in the conflict, but love engages that and love shows kindness. Love does not envy. Love does not envy, or your translations may say boast or, or sorry, jealous, envy. To envy is a feeling of discontentedness or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities or luck or something like that. So this is, uh, envy is, is not just the, I'm jealous of that person because they have a gift that I, that I want. It's they have something that I want and they, they have it and I don't, so I don't want them to have it. That's like, they're going to eat cake for dinner. I can't eat cake, so I'm going to drop the cake on the floor so they can't have it. It's, it's, it's bad, you know? It's like, there's two donuts left. There's one donut left. I don't want to eat half of it. I want to eat the whole thing. I'm just going to drop the donut on the floor. If you can't have it, if I can't have it, then neither should you. That's envy, and that's that deep, it goes beyond jealousy. It's in our church, if someone has a gift that you want, that's saying, you know, I want that gift, or I want to have that ability, or, or I want what they have, and it's saying, I, oh man, I wish they didn't even have that. I wish they just move, so then I can, can move in there and have that. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. To talk about with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or ability. Your translation may say vaunt or praise oneself, but it's to brag. It's literally the term is like a windbag. We were at a restaurant and we saw um, bagpipes and to boast is to really, it's to be a windbag and just to blow your own horn, toot your own horn. That's where that comes from. It's an arrogance that, uh, that you talk about someone else, you talk about your things above everyone else. We've, we've been in, in situations with this where someone tells a story or you share something and it's like, yeah, I had a really hard week uh, two bad things happened to me. And then someone chimes in and is like, oh, you, oh, let me tell you about my week. I had five bad things that happened and you wouldn't, and, and just kind of steamrolls, right? You just, they just go off and you really don't like talking to those people. You probably actually don't really get to talk to those people because they're talking. You know, it's, it's where, you know, you have a conversation with somebody and you're the one that's listening 98.8% of the time and they just keep going and going and going and going and going. It's, it's that talking about yourself. It's not um, uh, hearing other people or letting them talk. It's thinking about yourself. It's really actually kind of connected to envious. It's talking about yourself in such a way that you want to make other people envious. Like, okay, they're like, hey, man, they've got a beat up Honda Accord. I've got a Ferrari. And you say, oh, yeah, my Ferrari gets way better. Get How many gas mileage does the Honda Accord get? 35? Ferrari gets like 75. You know, and it's, just, it's the idea of making it, making people envious of what you have. So love does not envy. It also does not is not proud, or your transition may say arrogant, puffed up, or conceited. This is the, the flame that builds the hot air. 
This is what fills the bag. It's that attitude of pride. It's that attitude of, of jealousy. If love does not dishonor others, your transition may say rude, does not act unbecomingly or disgracefully or ill-mannered, inappropriate in accordance with something. This would be like if someone was teaching uh, in the church, uh, in a Heritage Institute class, and you and your buddy were just kind of talking and, and making conversation. It's, it's out of place for the situation that we're in. In relationally, it's, it's the not being considerate of other people. It's the excessive talking. It's the um, burping. It's the doing things that you could just do, but it's not appropriate for, for the people that you're with. Love is not self-seeking. Demanding its own way seeks its own benefit, not selfish to seek or further or profit the advantage of one. We don't use our spiritual gifts in the church to, to boost ourselves up. The, the worship team isn't signing autographs and, and selling albums. We don't do it to seek our own good. Love is others-seeking. In a, in a, in a marriage it's, it's, or in a relationship, it's, it's doing everything that you want to do and not seeking the good of others. So it's always going to the same restaurant that you want to and not asking someone, well, hey, where would you like to go? It's, it's doing things, and in that moment, we have the opportunity that, okay, I want to do this for me, not for them. I'm going to get ice cream for me and not bring any home to my wife. Self-seeking. Next one, love is not easily angered, or you may say provoked, or irritable, or overly sensitive, quick temper. This is the, the short fuse that any little small thing will set you off in an outburst. I used to get this, I used to struggle with this when I was younger. I struggle with it less now that I'm older, thank the Lord. But this is when my brother would brush his teeth and I'd come in after him and there'd be a big wad of toothpaste right in the sink. I'm just like, oh, cool. Oh, what are you doing? Where it's really, it, it doesn't even matter, but it makes you mad. It's, for me, it's having my wife's purse on the kitchen table. It just, it, 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 it irritates me. Am I going to eat the purse? No. <laughs> it's those things that those little small, that just that rouses you to anger. And this is what happens in a church context where something as, as silly as maybe, you know, someone took your parking spot and you come in, you're like, oh, you're like, ah, you know, it's the, it's the little things like that. Or it's like, ah, oh, you know, that person, you know, smells funny. Ah, something that doesn't, you shouldn't make you angry, but it makes you angry. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrong. This is, could be resentful, thinks no evil, does not take into account a wrong suffered. This is, we're really good at human beings about doing this. When people wrong us, it's almost like we keep a file folder in our minds. And it's like, boom, this person, this is what they did. And, and then it, and it, you, you keep track and you build it up and it clouds your vision of that person and it, and it focuses on your attitude. This is saying it doesn't account, it does, keeps no records of wrong. So this is when in the, the church family, when someone, someone wrongs us, we forgive it and we dismiss it. We choose not to remember it so that we don't look at that person as like, oh, you know, they, they lied to me once and so I'm never going to trust anything they say ever again. Never going to trust anything. They say. They're, they're a liar. I'm not going to do that. It, it keeps no records. Really, every time, love as a clean slate. Forgiveness is extended, it is given, it is asked for, and it's a clean slate. Because what happens, we build this file folder, and then it's like, oh, you know what? 
This is what they did. And in relationships too, when you're in close quarters, if you keep records of wrong, oh man, that is, that's like, that's like throwing gas on a fire instead of like a wet blanket or in a fire extinguisher. It, it builds up and then that's what kind of leads to the easily angered. Oh, you know, love keeps no records of wrong. Next one, love does not delight in evil, literally to rejoice in unrighteousness. That means when unrighteousness is going on, we rejoice in it, we, we praise it. We are, we're glad when, when evil happens. Maybe it's justice to someone that we think needs justice. In a church relationship, it's, you know, it's, you know someone has wronged us and then they, you know, back into the, the, the pole out there and we're like, yes, yes. Or we may see injustice going on around us. We're like, yes. Instead of saying, oh, that's, that's so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. I'm trying not to use as many personal illustrations, but they just, they just keep coming out. They just keep coming out. In a relationship, it's, it's like, um, you know, you see somebody and it's like, you know, it's catching up with them and it's like, oh, yeah, evil. Love always protects. Now, Paul goes in to say, he gives, uses these always examples he gives us some, some here, and he says, always protects, or you may say bears, or never gives up, keeps confidence. It's a covering to keep off of something which threatens. The best illustration I could come up with, it's like an umbrella. Umbrella bears up, keeps you protected from the rain. Love always protects. Love always trusts. This is to believe the best. Used in an ethical sense, it's, it's the confidence of someone's goodness. So when someone, you hear something that doesn't sound right, you always trust, you always believe the best about that person. You said, what, Scott, keyed your car? Oh, he probably did that on accident. I, I don't think he would do that. Um, and it's not kind of engaging in that um, thinking evil of, of someone. It's, it's thinking the best of them. If someone blows up at you, it's, it's saying, okay, well, they must have had a hard day or, or something must be doing that. It's, it's thinking the best. This helps stop like gossip and it helps stop this unforgiving spirit that is, is common in churches and even in relationships. It's always thinking the best. So it's when, you know, your wife packs your lunch and you open it up and there's no sandwich and there's no carrots and there's no hummus. It's just an empty thing. And it's not saying, you know what, she's out to get me. She wants to starve me. You know, she, she told me I need to lose a little pounds. This is what she's doing. It's assuming the best. She probably just grabbed the wrong container. In her love for me, she was packing my lunch. She just grabbed the wrong container. It's believing the best. Think about, though, if, if, if love permeated, if that type of love permeated our church, right, or permeated our relationships, we'd be, our stress level, our heart rate would be, would be down significantly. Love's always hopes this is to wait, to hope, in a religious sense, to wait for salvation with joy and full confidence, knowing that it's going to happen. It's the, the type of love that we have for someone in our family that's not walking with the Lord. Knowing that one day, if God chooses to, in his mercy, he will bring them back. It's choosing to love them so that when God brings them back, they don't have to trip over the obstacles that we built up. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres to endure 
bear bravely and calmly, to endure to the end. It's not going anywhere. Love doesn't bolt. Love doesn't storm out. Love engages, love goes, love perseveres. And lastly, love never fails to perish, to come to an end, to disappear, to cease. Love never fails. Now, if you're like me, you're probably feeling a little bit discouraged seeing this portrait of love and staring at yourself in the mirror and realize there's nothing coming close. It's your stick figure to Van Gogh's Mona Lisa. It's a Pinterest fail. You know, it's like baking a beautiful cake and it turns out like just terrible. So we must look at light or ourselves in light of the scripture. And so love here, it's like how do we do this? How do we love like this? How do we find love like this? For those of you who are searching for love, how do we find this? Well, the answer is God. The answer is not what love is. The answer is who love is. Who is love? God is love. See, the same word agape, if you turn to 1 John 4 with me, 1 John 4, John read this. We didn't even talk. It's just the Spirit working in our midst. 1 John 4, we find out that God is love. And the same word that God uses to describe himself, agape, is the same word found in 1 John 4. Now I'm going to read this, and I want you to read this as the 1 Corinthians love or the agape love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is agape. That's who he is. That's his character. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And if you are here today and you do not know Jesus and you've been searching and you've been running ragged trying to find love, trying to find that deep soul need, the answer to all of your longings and desires, the answer is God. He's the only one that can satisfy. And so if you are not here today and you don't have that love, you shouldn't leave here before you find out what the scripture says. I would love to talk to you about it. And then for those of us who have experienced that love of God, we're able to to love others with that love. If you keep reading, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth. We've set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. God is love. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, you can literally read into God as his love. And I'm going to use Jesus because God is Jesus and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit. They're the same. And I just want you to just just relish in how God loves you. If you don't know him, this is the love that he wants to love you with. And if you do know him, it's amazing. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. 
Christ does not envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrong. Love does not, Christ does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Christ always protects. Christ always trusts. Christ always hopes. Christ always perseveres. Christ never fails. That is how we are loved. That is God loving his erring child and pardoning from our sin. That is how God loves us. And for those of you that have not been loved by God and have not trusted him, God wants to love you like that. And so when we fail, he keeps no records of wrong. When we rejoice in evil, he rejoices in the truth. He, he doesn't rejoice in our evil. And so the question then becomes, okay, for those of us who know God and know Christ, how do we love? If we do it in our own strength, we'll, we'll never do it. We cannot love like this. We can't. It's impossible. We can't do it. But God has given us his spirit. And so we don't love out of our own love, but we love, we give his love to others. Because we have received this kind of love from him, we give this to others. We've received the patience from Christ, and so we extend the patience of love to them. We have received the benefit of not having our wrongs held against us. So that's how we love. It's interesting, we're talking about in our heritage kids, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. And if you know the fruit of the Spirit, you know the first fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So we don't love in our own strength. We love from the love in which we have been loved. The love that is always available to us. The love that is always loving us. And so I don't know where you're here today, what you're struggling with. I mean, I struggle with all of these things. So I would just encourage you, what I've done after being slammed by this text is just to say, okay, what is one that really jumps out to me? What is the one that the Spirit is really challenging me? And then not to try harder at doing it. Not to try to be more patient, not to try to be more kind. But what we must do is we must keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to look at Jesus' example of how he's loved us so that we can take that love and love others. Because we will never love the first Corinthians kind of love if it's not God's love, if it's not from God. And so for those of you who need to find that love, I hope it, it is today. And if it's not, we, we hope and we believe and we persevere that one day the Lord would give you the faith to believe. But the, for those of us who continue to love like this and to continue to fail, we cling to this truth, we cling to God's grace, and we cling to God's word as we allow it to transform us and to define and describe 
love. It's almost as if Paul was painting this masterpiece of love and he was looking at Jesus. And so we must do the same. Just imagine if our church really submitted ourselves to the Spirit and loved like this. Just imagine that. Our love that we receive from God, that we would give to those, would be overflowing. Imagine in our homes and in our relationships if we shared God's love in this way to them, what that would do. Definitely would transform some things, but it would also give us an opportunity to, to show God's love. In, in 1 John um, 4, there's one verse um, that uh, it's verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So we can't see God, but we can see his love through his body, the church. We can demonstrate it. And then I think if we continue to do that, then what Jesus would say, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love, if you agape one another. Let me pray. Father, we we come to the scripture today and we are really just pressed. We're crushed by the immense weight of your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ agaped, Christ loved us, Christ died for us. God, for you so agaped the world that you sent your only son, that whoever would believe in you would not perish but have eternal life. Lord, I first want to pray for those who are still searching for love in all the wrong places. I pray that you would use your word and your spirit to draw them, to make that connection, to know that they can be loved by you and to be able to have their soul satisfied in, in you, that they would taste and see that you are good, and that they would become, a, as John says in John 4, a, a wellspring welling up to eternal life. So I ask that you would do that in your time if it would be your will. And Lord, for the rest of us who have received and experienced your love, Lord, would you use your word? Would you use your spirit? Would you use Christ's example of love to to fuel our spiritual gifts, to, to fuel how we interact with one another? Lord, we acknowledge and we confess that we try to love in our own strength and it does not work. Lord, but help us to see and to experience your love for us so that we can overflow that love and we can pour that love into others. First, primarily to our church family in the context of using our gifts and and loving one another. But Lord, we don't want it just to, to pour out into our church building, into our church family, but we want it to pour out to Clark Summit, to Dalton, to Scranton, to Waverly, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, your love is, is boundless. If we were to write it on a scroll that were the heavens, we couldn't contain it. If we all just stopped right now and wrote of your love, we would never be out of a job. Thank you for that love in which you loved us. Lord, encourage us with your text. It's, it's hard sometimes to, to see the truth and to, to apply it. But Lord, encourage us, heal us, 
embolden us, empower us by your spirit to live your love to those around us. We love you. Lord, we agape you. We fall short, but we work hard to do that. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.